It is seven minutes after 10 o'clock. Good morning. You are listening to The Talking Point. My name is Oliver Dixon. Thank you so much for joining us and being in our company. We're with you all the way up until 11. In this hour, we're going to be discussing the interim uh, report on Palapala by the public protector, the acting public protector, advocate, Kolega Tzalega. Um, now, <clears throat> the interim report somehow leaked. Um, and various journalists have written about it, and I've, I've, I've had the opportunity of reading the report. It's quite an extensive report. Uh, it's 190 pages, very, very detailed. Um, and the difference between, in fact, this report is much longer than uh, the Section 89 Committee report, much, 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 much longer. But there's a reason for that. But here's the crux of it. The public protector was asked, by the African Transformation Movement to investigate and determine whether or not President Cyril Ramaphosa violated the Executive Ethics Code by doing other paid work. The Executive Ethics Code does not allow for members of the Executive to do other paid work. Part of the prerequisite reasons for that is that it exposes them to the potential of the risk of conflict of interest between their official duties and whatever this other work may be. So in part, to determine whether or not the president violated the executive ethics code by taking on other paid work, the public protector also had to investigate whether or not the president put himself, knowing or unknowingly, in the way of a conflict of interest by being exposed to the potential thereof, by doing other paid work outside of his uh, official duties and his official role. That's the complaint that was received by the public protector from the African Transformation Movement. So, that is what the public protector had to investigate. Joining me to unpack some of these legal questions and what they effectively mean is Benedict Piri. Benedict Piri is a legal analyst. Benedict, good morning. Thank you so much for your time. Good morning, Oliver, and thank you for having me, and good morning to the listeners. Just in law, Benedict, how important is the question of scope of investigation? And how important is the question of jurisdiction? Those, those are very uh, important questions when you think of uh, putting these two reports side by side. Because uh, when you think of what the public protector had to do, uh, her scope of investigation was a lot more narrow uh, than what um, the Section 89 panel would potentially look at. Um, and also because her scope was a lot more narrow, or rather, let me just say, the public protector's powers by virtue of the office uh, are a lot more extensive uh, insofar as calling for evidence, speaking to witnesses, etc., than what the Section 89 panel would have had. So just, you know, just looking at those two particular aspects, you can see how important scope is. And when you say jurisdiction, I'm thinking you're referring to the powers that a particular body has to yeah. look into a certain area. Um, so that is a crucial distinction uh, between these two bodies and what has led uh, potentially to the divergence in outcomes. 
It seems to be also important, the public protector argues, not just between her and the Section 89 committee. In fact, she actually does not make reference to that. But between her and other investigative bodies, uh, she references that other investigations that are taking place outside of her scope. It is not within her scope to determine whether or not the president broke the law, she argues. Neither is it uh, the her, within her scope to determine whether or not the president violated um, Financial Controls uh, Act or whether or not uh, the president violated the tax laws. Those are to be determined by the relevant authorities and the relevant bodies. Would the public protector have overstepped in, in, on her powers if she were to determine whether or not the president violated the tax code, whether or not the president violated or actually broke uh, the law by committing a crime? Would it be beyond the public protector to venture into those questions? Um, I think yes. I think um, had she made a finding, uh, well, there is no report at the moment, it's interim, but if she comes out with a finding in the final report that the president violated the South African Reserve Bank Exchange Controls, for instance, that would be beyond uh, her powers and beyond her scope of investigation. And we've seen this uh, in the case of Busisu and Krebane, for instance, uh, where she's gone beyond her mandate in the Reserve Bank. And that report was reviewed, um, and the court had scathing comments to say uh, about how she went about her work. But having said that, I think it is important when, for instance, if you're asking the question, has the president undertaken paid work? Um, I think, you know, input from the South African uh, um, um, SARS uh, is, is an important indicator because you can see whether there are receipts uh, and invoices and all of the like, right? Uh, obviously, she reached out to SARS and SARS said that uh, it's a confidential matter and they didn't give her any information. Similarly, information from the South African Reserve Bank would be an important indicator around how much of the forex flowed into the country and was declared uh, subsequently, right? Uh, so I think, and, and similarly with the Saab, um, the public protector did not get any assistance, or at least they told her that the investigation is ongoing. So I think even though she can't make a determination that the president may have violated those areas of the law, I think those factors would have been crucial in her coming up with uh, a more credible uh, finding regarding that particular question around whether the president uh, did undertake paid work for anything. So, so that question of paid work is actually going to be a very, I assume it's going to be a very contentious matter, right? Uh, because there seems to be a difference in definition in how the Section 89 committee viewed paid work versus how the public protector viewed paid work. So here's what the public protector says about paid work. The public protector argues uh, in terms of lawinsider.com forward slash dictionary, paid work means work done for payment or in expectation of payment and does not include being engaged by a charitable or voluntary organization or as a volunteer in circumstances in which the payment received or due to be paid to the person is in respect of expenses. She goes on to say, Section 1 of the Basic Conditions of Employment Act states that remuneration means any payment in money or in kind or both in money and kind made or owing to any person in return for that person working for any other person, including the state, and remunerate as a corresponding meaning. According to the Companies Act, remuneration includes fees paid to directors for services rendered by them, 
to or on behalf of the company, including any amount paid to a person in respect of the person's acceptance of the office of director. So that's what the, 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 the public protector then defines paid work and remuneration. This is an important part of the, of the report because the president argues that he has not received a sense from uh, the Peace Pala Pala Farm operations. In fact, he's run at a loss, he argues. To the extent that he's received monies from the account of the Palapala account to his account, it was reimbursements for a loan he made to the business. The Section 89 committee report says, uh, that's irrelevant. You own this thing. It's in your name. You're a sole director of this close corporation. Um, and that's a narrow, to say that you have not received any money from it so far is a narrow view. Now, judges have to contend with definitions all the time, Benedict, as you know. I, I'm curious about how this, 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 because it seems like a semantic debate, right? But it's an important debate. I'm curious about how important this is going to be in court, should it get there, and what the rule of thumb is as far as legal adjudication is concerned when there is a difference in understanding of the definition of a certain term. Yeah, it's, it's actually a critical um, disjuncture between these two reports. And, and my sense is that the public protector has elevated form over substance here um, because she's literally narrowed down uh, the real substance of what is happening with Cyril Ramaphosa and Parapara. You know, he's, uh, uh, he's uh, admitted that he is the sole member of a close, that close corporation, which means that, you know, within a close corporation context, the board and uh, what we would call directors in a company are collapsed, effectively the same person. So there isn't a distinction between a shareholder and a board, as the case would be uh, in a private company. Uh, so it means that that company actually runs uh, based on what he says. Um, to the extent that he says there are managers that run the business, we all know that the operations of a company are vest in the board. So uh, there's two things that the president did not give the public protector, which for me are telling. He did not give the public protector any financial statements. He said these are confidential. So the public protector took the president at his word that all he's received has been repayments on his loans. She didn't check um, whether that is actually the case from a financial uh, um uh, statements perspective or the bank accounts or anything of that sort. She didn't actually triangulate to see if that statement was factually true. Um, and secondly, because we're talking about a close corporation, if the president could justifiably say that managers actually run the, 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 the corporation and he has nothing to do with it, then we would expect to see delegations of authority, uh, like what a typical board would do mm. if they say we are appointing a CEO or whatever who's not necessarily a director and we're giving him the powers to do one, two, three, four, five. The public protector did not ask for those. She simply took the president at his word. Um, so now if you look then at what the Section 89 panel did with that information, they said, well, we're missing a whole bunch of information here that could actually lend credence to what the president is saying. And because we're missing information, uh, we can't disabuse ourselves 
of a prima facie view that something might be wrong because you'd expect that if something is right, someone can actually give you all the evidence to substantiate that. So that is going to be critical. I think the interpretation of the Section 89 panel is the right one because uh, what you're effectively doing if you follow the public protector's interpretation is you're going to allow members of cabinet to sit behind businesses and say we have nothing to do with them. Um, uh, and, and you're already hearing what Andre Director is saying, but actually they are the hidden hand behind the business itself. That's a very, very interesting point you make there. Give us a call, 86 because <laughs> it does run the risk where you'll see members of cabinet sit- suddenly sitting on boards, potentially of JSE-listed companies, and that uh, potentially does introduce a conflict of interest over there. A couple of other elements that we will discuss in the report, uh, such as whether or not the president did the right thing by reporting this uh, to General Ruder, uh, or was that sufficient, or should the president have gone himself directly to SAPS or the Hawks. That too was an element of contention in the report between the Section 89 Committee report versus the Public Protector report. Give me a call 086 000 2032. We're taking your WhatsApp voice notes on 0614 20 minutes after 10, we're taking a quick break. Conversations that you connect with and react to. SAFM. Give us a call, 086-000-2032. What is on your mind as far as this conversation is concerned? Do you have any questions? Do you have any comments? Do you have any concerns of yourself as we try to unpack the interim report by the public protector? Look, it's also important for me to stress this. It is the interim report. What is in this report may well not be in the final report. It may well be that the submissions from the parties are substantively convincing and persuasive enough that the public protector reconsiders her adjudication and interpretation of certain matters. And therefore, the substantive outcome of the final report may actually be different. So it's important to note that this is an interim report. That's very important. We spoke before we went to the break on the issue of paid work. One of the other issues uh, pertaining to this is whether or not the president did the right thing by instructing the head of his personal protection, General Roeder, to look into this matter. The matter pertaining being the break-in, the burglary at his Palapala residence. The public protector finds that what the president did there was sufficient. The president did not instruct General Roeder, she argues, on how to go about it, but only for him to look into the matter. How General Rueda went about it, she argues, was outside the norm and the prescripts of uh, criminal investigation. Because remember, General Rueda conducted his own investigation. He went to uh, no man's land, Namibia. He went to Cape Town. He went to Palapala. He spoke to people before he eventually took this uh, to the South African Police Service. He did his own investigation. And in fact, the case still was not opened after that fact. The public protector says, as far as the president is concerned, his instruction to General Ruder was sufficient. What should have followed thereafter was the responsibility and the onus of General Ruder. The Section 89 committee, however, found something else. 
they found it was not sufficient. And this really then does become a question on whether or not the president had a unique, ordinary, and special onus to himself go and open a case at his nearest police station or wherever, wherever the police station is there in Palapal, or whether or not it was sufficient. And that is a important bone of contention here. Benedict, that's going to be difficult to make sense of uh, between the various investigative bodies. Yeah, and, and I think the question of uh, conflict of interest really turns on, um, you know, the president's instructions to General Rueda um, and uh, General Rueda then uh, utilizing state resources effectively uh, to further the president's personal interests. So the president distancing himself from General Rueda um, is actually an important step for him uh, to make or an important indicator for him, uh, you know, for, so that he doesn't actually fall foul of PRICA. It's Section 34, I think, of PRICA, which says that if you are the member of a closed corporation and uh, there's a theft or some other anti-corrupt uh, activity uh, in over 100,000 rand, then you must report that to uh, the DPCI. So I think the Section 89 panel there was very prescriptive around or read the word very prescriptively in the legislation to say it's a specific police official that you must report this to. It's not just any police officer. It's not just uh, any police station, etc. Um, and for that reason, they found that the president would have potentially violated Section 34 who does, uh, of PRECA. Who does PRECA place that onus on? PRECA places the onus on the owner of a close corporation. So mm. the president has uh, admitted that he owns this close corporation all by himself. So the onus would have been on him uh, to report the crime to um, the DPCI. We know that General Ruda was not part of the DPCI. Um, and obviously the public protector has found that, well, even though he wasn't part of the DPCI, it was sufficient for him to uh, tell President, uh, I mean, General Rueda and for General Rueda then to take the matter on. But what General, uh, General Rueda did not do uh, was follow the required procedural steps. And that's an important, you know, I, I think when you read that narrative, uh, General Rueda distances the president and the president distances himself. And I don't think anyone can actually get into that space and say anything different. Um, but that's an important separation between the two of them, which is effectively where the question of um, conflict of interest unhinges. Because had it been that General Rueda uh, was following uh, the president's instructions, then the question of conflict of interest would have come quite clear into the foreground. Mm, mm. That's actually very important. Hey, another question, because usually in a company where there's a board and there's an executive, right, um, and there's shareholders, the board represents, the, or the trustees, or the directors represent the interest of the shareholders. And that relationship is described by a fiduciary duty. Should the board fail in, in doing certain things, they would be uh, shirking their fiduciary duty, and the board can, uh, and the shareholders can sue them individually uh, in their personal capacity. Does the failure, or at least the breach of a fiduciary duty, extend to criminal sanction? 
In some instances, yes, because you could breach a fiduciary duty by, for instance, committing a fraud on the company. So in that instance, you know, the company could have lost out on potential business, um, but at the same time, you would have committed a criminal uh, act. Um, so in this particular instance, um, there's specific legislation that says if you're the CEO of the company, or rather, let's say the words are if you're a person in authority, and then later on in the act, there's a list of who are people in authority. Um, and people in authority includes a CEO. And that's why, you know, with Andre DeRater, the ANC was saying, well, you had this obligation, you were the CEO, and you came across um, some corrupt activities, you were meant to report it, and also includes a member of a close corporation, which the president would have been. So he had that obligation strictly in law. He says he discharged it by telling General Ruder. Um, but if you look at the legislation, mm. it would not have been sufficient for him to do that. Mm. So if parties were to respond, it would be sufficient for ATM, the African Transformation Movement, the complainant in this instance, in instance to say to uh, the public protector, you misinterpreted uh, the relevant statute. Yes, I think that's correct. Um, and I think, you know, the, 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 the input from the party is going to go around uh, and a misinterpretation of the relevant statutes. One, we know what paid work, um, there's going to be a, a question around paid work. And secondly, there's going to be a question around his obligations to report. Um, uh, but that only, you know, it filters into the Executive Members Ethics Act um, around the conflict of interest. So it's mm, not necessarily mm. that the Executive Members Ethics Act requires the president to report. Yes, there's a law that requires him to report, but not necessarily the Executive Members Ethics Act. The Executive Members Ethics Act only requires him to avoid a conflict of interest. Right, but right. I, 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 want us to, I want us to pause on that because I want to come to that conceptually and unpack what conflict of interest looks like and what it does not look like and perhaps how it relates to the Executive Members Ethics Act. But it's half past, it's a minute after half past 10. Kamukhla Toledi has your headlines. At SAFM Radio and at Oliver underscore speaking on Twitter. Give me a call, 86 Let's have a listen to some of your WhatsApp voice notes on this conversation. Whenever you people are going through technicalities of what is paid work and what is not paid work, was this man supposed to be running his farm and being involved in the daily affairs of his farm, or was he supposed to be running the country? Let's go on that principle. Another problem, how long did it take this public protector this is not even a public protector. This lady stood in where the real public protector is being persecuted. She's not even the real public protector because the law stipulates how a public protector must be uh, uh, put in place. And this lady was not put in place the way of the law. So she's not even really a public protector. She's just, I don't know. I don't know what she is, but why did it take her this long? Good morning, Oliver Dixon. Oliver, it's your captain. Oliver. Where did you see, if you are a victim of theft or anything, you need to go and report to the police station? It doesn't say, maybe because I have a friend who is an officer, I'll tell my friend. No, you need to go to the police, of, uh, police office, police station, and get the, uh, the case number. Does the president have a case number? No. 
if it doesn't, it means it's illegal. Whatever I say, it's not true. You know, he violated the ethical code. He should go to the police station and report and have a case number. So the president is wrong. He abuses his power. Thank you. Morning, SAFM. It's Bugani from Devon. I just wanted to check something on this issue of the Palapala matter. Um, I remember at some point when Beggy was the president, someone broke into his house and uh, drank some whiskey or something to that effect. Did he personally go to the police and report the matter or did he inform his, his, his uh, security detail to do so? Thank you. Give us a call, 086-000-2032. Let's go to the lines. Tabo in Kruenstad. Tabo, good morning. Morning, Oliver. Morning, Tabo. Oliver, go ahead. Yes, I think now we have said a lot, and everybody is pointing the finger to the duty of the president. Now, uh, firstly, somebody who arrived yesterday, this crime, the money was under the coach and matras. Lastly, what happened in Section 89 of that situation, what was taking place there in the parliament, Mantashe just stood up and said Ramaphosa is bigger than ANC. Is bigger than ANC. That must be ignored. Three judges came mm. out with a conclusion to say the president has the case to answer. Now, our bus in South Africa, all of us who are phoning, we are climbing the same bus he stopped it there to say that section 89, that parliament which we agreed to say prison must not answer, is to open the case against them. Mm. The two judges take a decision and then them, they take a, a, a different a, a approach to the case. We must be clear, the bus of South Africa stopped where they say section 89 of the, the decision taken to say prison drama professional duty you don't agree. That is what I wanted to say, Oliver. Okay. Uh, Tabo, thanks a lot. Mutau in Wooden Res. Mutau, good morning. Yes, Oliver. How are you this morning? I'm well, I'm well. Go ahead. Thanks for the opportunity. Uh, before I continue, Oliver, there, there's a question that I want to ask your legal analyst today. Whether he has read the analysis of Professor Tulima Tontela on this matter. Because that is important. The reason why I'm asking this is with regard to two reports, because it is clear that TRECA has to deal with corruption, corrupt activities. And now, there was no corruption in this matter. What happened is that money was stolen at the property. Now, that is very important, very important, Oliver, because... Uh, if you can understand that, then you will understand why the Section 89 report was flawed. Mm. Uh, are you listening to yeah, me, Oliver? Yeah. Very important. Now, the president reported the matter to a police officer, Mr. Berger, right? Uh, well, there may be issues with regard to whether he should have reported at the police station. Uh, that's debatable. But what is important is that he reported the crime that happened at his property to a police officer. Now, if there was a problem with that, 
My assumption is that uh, Mr. Berger, as a a police officer, should have said to the president, no, no, you don't have to report this matter to me. Go to the police station. So it is very important for us to understand this, Oliver, because uh, the Section 89 report and this matter, the the way the public protector dealt with it, give us on that, because... Section 89 relies on tracker, and there was no corruption at all. Pro- Professor Tulima Tontela did explain this matter. So I don't know why sometimes we have legal analysts who are seems not to cover all the areas. Okay. Because In, yeah. that, that becomes the problem, because now uh, the president is being pursued like uh, this is a vendetta on him, because I, I think it is important for legal analysts who come here to actually do a thorough research and understand what is the difference between the two reports. This man is not attending to that matter, Oliver. He's okay. not attending to it. Without, and that th- we're going to have to leave it there, Mutau. Thanks a lot for your for your call. Really, really do appreciate it. Benedict, is, is it a correct reading for Preka to only very specifically apply to corrupt activities? And even then, what is the definition of corrupt, corrupt activities? And does the palapala matter? pertain to corrupt activities yeah so um so I, I, you know i disagree with professor tulima Donsella on this and i have read her analysis and i've mentioned it publicly a number of times um because preca is quite specific that you have a duty to uh, uh report corrupt activities which are listed um so it could be for instance if you see money laundering or anything of that sort uh, and also includes theft and fraud involving uh, an amount of over 100,000 rand. Um, that act is quite specific that theft and fraud are covered and they must be reported if it involves an amount of 100,000 rand. And I think uh, subsuming and saying that, well, a theft is not covered because um, the act just speaks to corrupt activities in general, uh, I think is not correct because the act actually has the words there in black and white. And us as lawyers, we know that you must interpret the words as they are written. So if the word theft is used, it means that a theft is covered. Um, so I, I, I respectfully disagree uh, with Tulima Donsela and the caller there because uh, the act is quite specific around that. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's, uh, that's where I would put it uh, mm. on, on that particular one. <clears throat> yeah, give us a call, 086-000-2032. Going to take a quick break. On the other side of this, we continue taking some of your calls and your voice notes on this conversation. Oliver Dixon on SAFM. But you in the media, you are not realizing it, but you are helping Cyril Ramaphosa to distance himself from this General Rode. You tell me, when Cyril Ramaphosa asked General Rode to look into this matter, as General Rode was investigating this matter, doing his, I suppose, doing his own thing, investigating it his own way, who was he then reporting to to say, this is where I am now, this is what I've done now? Who was he reporting to as he was going to Cape Town, going to Namibia, going to these people, holding hostage this one, holding hostage that one? Who was he reporting to? Because this thing, he was told by President, look into this. And now we are trying to distance Ramaphosa from General Rute, from what General Rute did. But you tell me, if someone tells you to investigate something, low less the president of the country, who do you report to? He was reporting to Cyril. 
that's an interesting point. Uh, Benedict? Yes, and I think this is another failing of this interim report, you know, because that was not scrutinized. Um, I think General Rota said he reported the matter to a senior police official uh, who has subsequently passed on. So yes. there was no ways of actually testing uh, that particular evidence because, you know, conveniently someone has passed on. So I think that is a very, very important question. Uh, and the question is, you know, did the president never inquire about this after he told General Roda? We left with the impression from the report that the president told him and just forgot about it um, and, and just carried on with his life. Uh, but, you know, it is 500,000 U.S. dollars that we're talking about, or 8 million rand. I, you know, it seems a bit hard to believe that he just forget about it as a business person yeah. um, and not not follow up. But those are some of the questions that um, the, the report leaves uh, unanswered. Yeah. Let's go to the lines. Mustafa in East London. Mustafa, good morning. Good morning, Mr. Dixon, and good morning to your guest and uh, to, to the SFM listeners. Yeah. Mm, go yeah. ahead. Yeah, my, my, my question is that I believe that uh, the ATM leader, Mr. Zungula, did challenge the Section 89, the Palapala matter, to the court of law. Same applies for Mr. Malema, but we haven't heard anything as the public, what the court decided. No, uh, no, 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 they, they, no, 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 no. What the ATM as well as the EFF challenged in court was the vote on the Section 89 report, not the actual report itself. On the actual report. Yes. Ah, okay. So they okay. were in court arguing that the Speaker of Parliament um, did not do her job correctly because how they went about the vote was not in the interest of justice. Um, and so yes. the court is yet to release its judgment on that. Oral arguments have been made in court. Okay, so last Mr. Dixon, uh, in terms of the primary report for by by, by the acting public protector, I think the public the acting public protector is 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 is, is biased. You know, is is defensive. Why I'm saying so? Because the 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 her her report is is contradicting. It's not it's not the same as the one for for the former justice judge Mr. Sandilengobo, and you know even the Reserve Bank have confirmed that they never they didn't get any report from the president farm at the parapara farm when the man was lost in his property so yeah, on so that i don't think that, it's fair to say that she's biased just because um the outcomes no, 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 uh, is different no, no. because what we're also discussing and where this is where the conversation started and this is why this is important we were discussing hold on hold on we were discussing okay. the scope uh, and jurisdiction okay, of different body. bodies the public yes. protector doesn't have the same scope as SARS and doesn't have the same scope as the Reserve Bank. Neither okay. does she have the same scope as the Hawks or even the okay. Section 89 yeah. committee. They're all asking different questions uh, in piecing together this. And therefore, oh, okay. it's only it's reasonable for different investigations to have different outcomes. Yeah, but, but uh, I don't have faith and confidence in the in the acting public protector. It's, same, it's better the sus- suspended one because she was able to investigate our, our current president, Mrs. Nkwaban. Unlike the act, acting one, because the Hawks, they, they've been quiet also from their side. We haven't had anything from, from the Hawks side. No, they the, the, the extent to what the Hawks said was we were investigating. Up until when, then? There's not even time flame, time lag. <laughs> yeah, that's that. Yeah, that is quite frustrating. Actually, you're right. Oh, keep working. Yeah. Thank, thanks keep a lot, working. Mustafa. Yeah, I appreciate it. Butana yeah. in Rosebank. Yeah. Butana, good morning. Good morning, good morning to your guest as well. You know, the acting pu- public protector, she worked so hard to exonerate President Ramaphosa. So hard. 
Unfortunately, she's damaging her credibility. There are simple things that she has, should, should, should have dealt with and then ask the president it together with the, 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 that, that, that chap that was investigating. But she chose not why the president did not report this thing to the works. Because that's why it belongs. It's more than 100,000. So the specific works that need to deal with this thing. She chose not to ask the president that question. And president chose not to go to the works. President wanted to cover up. And how can president deal with the dirty person? A person that has cash uh, with him and come and, and, and buy the, the, those, those animals. And those animals are still there. They are still there, those animals. Yeah, Butana, thanks a lot. That's a lot of energy there by Butana uh, calling us from Rosebank. We're going to take a quick break. On the other side of this, we continue the program. I want to zone in on that question, actually. Um, Benedict, this is less a legal question, uh, but w- let's say legal adjacent. Why does this case matter? Because this, this voice note says this, this spending time on this isn't going to help us. It's not going to fix the potholes. But why does this case actually matter? Yeah, and I think that's a good question, Oliver, and it is a legal question because, um, you know, governance goes alongside the rule of law. Um, So if you have bad governance, uh, you're going to need the law to lead the way around what good governance looks like. Uh, And what we have here, uh, I think a lot of us miss the fact that we've already gone one step further than Jacob Zuma insofar as understanding the framework for impeachment. You know, Pada Pada created that uh, for a presidential impeachment. Uh, and we've gone one step further insofar as understanding what this impeachment committee would look like and the impeachment process. Similarly, uh, we're getting valuable lessons on what uh, executive members can and cannot do within business. Uh, I think that is an important question given the country we have and allegations of corruption and all of that. So I think it will filter into uh, a better level of governance once this matter is complete. I think we'll have yeah. stronger standards from a legal perspective, and hopefully it will hold lessons for those that will govern in the future. Let's now zone in on the question of a conflict of interest. What is the executive, what is the executive ethics code trying to prevent uh, by inscribing a conceptualization of a conflict of interest into that code? And what does it look like in practice? Yeah, and, and I think that's also a very good question because I think the way that the acting public protector framed the question was linked to the question of uh, paid work, when in actual fact, the question of conflict of interest sits on its own uh, in the executive member's ethics act. So what we're looking at there essentially is we're saying if you're an executive member, whether you're a member of a provincial cabinet or a national cabinet, um, you should not be in a situation where your private interests uh, conflict with your business interests or, most importantly, could potentially conflict, uh, sorry, where your private interests conflict with your official interests yeah. or could potentially conflict with your official interests. So, and what that would look like in practice, and I want to step away from para para a little bit here. Um, if, for instance, you are uh, a member of cabinet, and there is a state contractor that agrees to come to your house to do certain work for you, um, but then uh, basically agrees to get paid out of a government contract. 
that is a conflict of interest. You know, it's not necessarily the way we're seeing it in Parapara. Similarly, if you have to make a decision uh, over issuing a mining license, if you're the Minister of Mineral Resources and Energy, and there's a family member that stands to benefit from that mining license, that is a conflict of interest. Um, so, you know, those are sort of the areas in which the conflict of interest could play in. Where it becomes interesting within a Parapara context is simply by managing a farm or running a farm. Yeah. The president isn't necessarily conflicted from his official duties as president. But the moment that state resources are used to investigate what has happened at that farm um, by General Roda and others, then the question of a conflict of interest comes up. So, but if, if if Cyril Ramaphosa was not the president and the crime happened and he still re- and he reported the crime, state resources would have been used in any instance, right, to investigate it. I mean, when you go to the police and the police get in the police van, they go to Palapala. That's state resources being used. Does it not count the same? The problem is in this context, the state resources were not used in an official manner. So it wasn't right. the normal reporting of a crime. It was state resources that were off the shelf, essentially. So that then creates the conflict of interest. Had it been the normal reporting of a crime and police investigate the matter in the ordinary course, then the resources would have been used in the same way that they've been used for me and you. Right. We report a crime. But in this particular instance, the resources were essentially set aside for the president in uh, in an unlawful manner, if I can use that word. Uh, would it then be enough for President Ramaphosa to say, as he had said, but I didn't instruct for them to do that. General Rode went rogue. He did that by himself. That was never my instruction. This is exactly why he has said that. And this is exactly why General Rode has corroborated that. Because there needs to be that distancing, uh, you know, to create uh, or rather to obviate against the finding of a conflict of interest. Yeah, this this is actually going to be a very interesting pontification in 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 in, in court about this. Um, there's been a previous case uh, investigation around conflict of interest uh, that involves Cyril Ramaphosa by the public protector, and that was in the Pusasa matter. Uh, does it does it triangulate in the same way? I think the Pusasa matter, um, with respect to the, the the revealing of the donor list. Uh, was slightly different because in that particular instance, uh, political members could, uh, political party members could run private campaigns essentially right. and not be caught foul of the legislation that governs uh, funding to political parties at the time, which hadn't actually developed. And fortunately, um, you know, the Constitutional Court uh, is seized with the question, or rather, I think that the decision has been made that the Political Party Funding Act uh, is not broad enough to capture these particular instances, which it should. Uh, so it, it's, it's a little bit different from this particular version of a conflict of interest. Yep, let's have a listen at this voice note. Good morning, Oliver. Good morning, listeners of Radio SAFE. Maria April Springbok. Oliver, is there any senior head of um, general, the general, why didn't he spoke to that person to instruct then the general to do? Now he's standing, he wants to stand out of the water. And for too long, all the ordinary cadres must pay the, take the pain in the brain for wrongdoing 
of senior politicians. That's for too long. It can't go on any longer. Each and every one of us uh-huh. must take be accountable for our, for what we've done. So the president must account. Please, uh-huh. thank you. Uh-huh. Who then, uh, outside of that, just back to General Roder, who then must hold General Roder accountable for his um, off-the-shelf investigation and those actions outside the prescripts of their normal operations? So from what we read in the Public Protectors report, obviously, you know, uh, or rather the interim report, um, she makes the recommendation that, um, you know, he be uh, disciplined. Uh, so that would then be his employers within yeah. uh, the FAPS that would then have to initiate disciplinary processes against him for this. Right. Benedict, thank you so much for your time. Really, really do appreciate it. Benedict Piri, who is a legal analyst. This is going to be an interesting week. Um, we hope to, at some point, see what the parties respond to the public, what the parties say in response to the public protector. And hopefully we can analyze that against uh, the findings in the interim report and against officially the findings and what will be the final report whenever we receive that. Give me a call. 86 2032. Uh, if you still want to engage on this uh, a little bit later on, we might be able to listen to some of that again.